0: It was literal, and uh, there was—you know—we were building out the cidery, We did a lot of the work ourselves, and you know, there's always something heavy to lift in the cellar, and so that's kind of where that came from—CEO and lifting heavy things. I think, um, you know, now my role has changed completely. I mean, I don't make cider anymore. I'm, I'm generally behind uh, a computer screen or in a conference room. Um, but aside from that, there's still a lot of heavy lifting that needs to be done. Finding what craft is and what's important to people, I think, is really the key. Um, and, and how do we do it? You know, We scream from the mountaintops about what our product is, how we make our product, and who we are. We do that through experiential marketing, we do that through our tap rooms, inviting people in and pairing them with the food and understanding what cider is and what cider can be, because you know, even just the definition
1: of cider varies across our industry. This is the Proco 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs and leaders. My guests have built very successful businesses with team members and collaborators who also love being in Colorado. Today's episode features Eric Foster, founder and CEO of Stem Ciders. Stem Ciders is a craft cidery headquartered in Lafayette, Colorado. It's founded on the principles of quality, style, and tradition. Eric has a tap house in Rhino and a new acreage location at their headquarters. We'll talk about the cider business, about turning one's passion into a company, and why Stem Ciders is one of the successes when most passion-turned-businesses-don't-make-it, and about dealing with what looks to me like a tsunami wave of competition as new entrants jump into the cider market chasing the next new thing. Eric and Stem Ciders were introduced to me by a great ProCo 360 sponsor. Say hi, Chandra Bryn. Chandra's joining us in studio. Oh, the fun you can have if you're a sponsor. Eric of Stem Ciders, thanks for joining me on Proco 360. Thank you for having me. It's a a true pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here with me. And in fact, I think the best thing to do right now to learn about Stem Ciders is to open one of the samples that you brought for me. And uh, this one is called Paloma Apple Cider. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, you happen to pick one of my favorites there. So, Good choice. But Paloma, it's fantastic. It's uh, it's an apple base. Uh, you get a lot of citrus from the grapefruit and the key limes, a little bit of black pepper in there that comes out and uh, finishes up with an agave sweetness. It's it's delicious. It's, it is delicious. Yeah. And
1: so uh, backing up just a bit, how about an overview of Stem Ciders? How close was I? What should we know?
0: Yeah, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. We, uh, we opened Stem Ciders back in 2013. We're a uh, Colorado craft cidery focusing on, like you said, quality, style, and tradition. Uh, and what that means to us uh, kind of Varies a little bit as we're talking about our products, but really want to keep cider uh, at the forefront of our industry and uh, and making sure that those ideals are are uh, are moving forward into the liquid at every time. So formed by myself and
1: Phil Cow, my partner, um, like I said in 2013, and um, we're still going strong. Well, to be clear, I mean these are adult versions of cider, right? ABV five percent or more. I mean, basically like beer, right? Correct. Yeah. So do you do anything that's non-alcoholic? Do you want to, or is this sort of the market that you're in?
0: You know, we're really focused on um, kind of the elk bev space right now. We've had some conversations about the NA uh, cider space and other things, but right now, yeah, this is our focus.
1: Yeah. Now also, I mean, how much of your business is to be like an attraction with tap houses? You've got a couple of tap houses, you know, where you sell uh, products to people who come to visit versus a product, something people can buy in a retail store. Yeah. It's about a half of our business. Really? It is. It's a big focus for us. Well, where are the margins better? They must be better at a tap house, aren't they? They're definitely better at a tap house. Even though the food margins suck, don't they? We found a model that works well
0: for us, and it blends really well with um, the offerings that we're, we're able to provide, and we're
1: happy with it. So, all right, I would have to back up even a bit more, which is, like, how do you even make a cider. I As a kid, I grew up in, in the East Coast and I know you get apples and you squish them and that makes cider, but you're doing something much more sophisticated.
0: Yeah. And I grew up in Michigan too. So we have the same vernacular for cider, but uh, cider generally speaking is an alcoholic beverage and has been for, uh, you know, ever uh you know i didn't
1: know that i thought it was like just the apple stuff you buy in the grocery
0: yeah and that's what that's what we called it too growing up um and you nailed it really is we we start with apples we crush them uh, and then they get pressed into juice and from there fermentation happens and you know we can either use a commercially viable yeast that's added or you can just go with a wild ferment and see what happens there's a a lot of different ways
1: to So I'm going to get into the whole comparison to beer in a little bit. Uh, You started Stem Ciders with your partner, Phil Cow, um, back in 2013, as you mentioned. It's only eight years ago, but where was the cider business back then? Cider business was,
0: um, I wouldn't, it, by no means in its infancy, but it certainly didn't have the competition as you mentioned, you know, uh, yeah. just a minute before. So, you know, it was uh, it was a burgeoning um, uh, part of the industry, and it was pulling a lot of consumers from craft beer and from wine. Uh, back then, most of the cider that you saw was pretty traditional, apple-based ciders. So, um, you know, the big difference between them was either sweet or dry. Yeah. And uh, what is that? What is that? that mean? What is sweet, dry,
1: semi-dry, hard dry? What are these terms? Yeah, it's really just a measure of the amount of sugar that's perceivable Uh in the product. So if it tastes sweet, then it's not dry. Correct. Got it. So is it healthier if it's dry? Well, I don't know that I can comment on that, but it it (laughs) certainly has uh, less calories. Does it? Okay. Well, that's good to know. Now, um, I'm curious because I know in your background you were exposed to cider as a kid, you like the idea of being in the cider business, but there's this famous book called the e-myth and in it, it cautions against people who are creating something for that. Like they're making something for fun, for satisfaction. And their friends say, that's so amazing. You're awesome. You should start a business. And you know, you see that in bakery and candle makers, beer makers, most of them fail though, because like when it was fun to do it for themselves, they loved it. When they start turning it into a business, now it's now it's hard. So you and Phil are an exception. Why is that? You know, it's interesting. I'm not sure I would classify what we did as a
0: passion project.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, you know, we uh, yes, I was exposed to cider at a young age and I worked in a cidery in Michigan uh, for a long time when I was younger, but I was off doing other things. And, you know, I was running sales and marketing for larger companies and Really, when cider came into the picture for me, it was I was doing a lot of traveling and noticed that there was uh, a large cider president, presence in uh, non-apple growing regions of the country, which you really hadn't seen before. You know, there was a couple of uh, larger cider projects. Uh, one of them, Hardcore, by uh, what is now Angry Orchard from Boston mm-hmm. Beer, it didn't do too well, and so you know, I, I didn't really give cider a second thought. But I started seeing things pop up, and really, it was Angry Orchard that 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 kind of opened the door for cider, and um, You know, I thought, well, this is interesting because I know how to make cider and I've I've been a home brewer just as a hobby, as you meant, as you said, like a passion. And so, um, you know, Phil and I talked and there's a longer story where we went back to Michigan and toured around a bunch of cideries. But ultimately, um, we decided that this would be something really cool to bring to Colorado. And At the time, there was only a couple of very small orchard based cideries here. Um, so we came back and we bought a press and we begged some farmers to give us apples and, uh, started making cider again. And, uh, wouldn't you know it, it was, it was great cider. So mm. we continued to do that for a couple of years until, uh, my garage had turned officially into a cidery. And my wife said, you either got to scale up or scale down. And I guess maybe she made the decision for <laughs> us and, uh, that's, that's how we got into it. So, I mean, there's a lot of passion there and there's some history for, yeah, for yeah. both of us being from Michigan, but it wasn't like we, um, you know, were just average home brewers for 20 years and decided yeah. to open
1: a brewery. It was never the, the, the path. So how much, when, back when you decided to scale up or scale down, how much were you making?
0: You know, our batch sizes at that time were, um, I anyway, know they were probably in the, uh, I don't know, Two hundred size, two hundred gallon
1: size range. Huh. Yeah. So enough to sell at like a festival or something. But that's kind of it, right? I mean, it would be, but you know, we didn't have a license at that point in time, so, <laughs> so we weren't doing. You any were drinking of that. all of it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think technically all of that was illegal. I think we were producing <laughs> over the. Uh, <laughs> Is moonshine
1: threshold. a cider? You know, it,
0: it? it's not, but. Um, you know, hopefully nobody's listening to this who cares. (laughs) Well, I hope somebody who cares is listening
1: now, um, you know, in thinking back on your background, you know, doing sales and marketing fortune 500 companies, think about like something you learned in those roles that you say, yeah, I brought this from that world into my new world.
0: You know, I think it's how we approach our team. Honestly, so we're we're a fairly small business, obviously, but we run a really well-oiled machine as far as our team dynamics are concerned, and we've got um, a fairly dialed-in. Uh, you know, I hate to use the word corporate, but corporate structure in the team is um, is diverse and comes from a number of different backgrounds. Um, and we've got some you know some solid industry vets. We've got some folks, actually, one folk that I one guy that I brought with me from my past industry mm-hmm. who knew nothing about yeah. cider, and um, and so how we've structured that and how we've structured the company, I think. Is one of the biggest things that I learned about from
1: working at Fortune 500 companies. That surprised me, yeah, uh, because I thought you were going to say something about sales or marketing. Because you know, really, when it comes to a product like this, um, whether it's cider, whether it's craft brew, or whatever, I mean, at some point, customers are discerning. They know what things taste like, but. It's also about marketing. Like, how cool is the label? How cool is the name? You know, didn't you? Did you bring any of that from the corporate world?
0: You know, a little bit, but not really. I was B two B in mm, the corporate world, yeah. so B two C was kind of a new place for me to be. Um, and what I brought from the corporate world is knowing uh, that I didn't know how to do that. Uh, and so we brought in a team that does, and uh-huh. they're fantastic at what they do. They, they've got the designs that you see here, um, and a go to market strategy that's that's been very successful for us.
1: Yeah. So when you were deciding whether scale up or skill down with your wife did you say yeah and by the way I don't know how to do this <laughs> <You> <laughs> so, know, I might have left that part out Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, hey let me remind listeners this is Proco 360 named best Denver podcast three years running and best Colorado business podcast I'm your host Dave Tabor and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado my guest today is Eric Foster of STEM Ciders. thanks to our sponsors First Bank who's here in studio with me today Kinsley Meetings Via technologies and digital frontier printing. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and ProCo three hundred and sixty. Thinking also back on your past career, uh, and then what you got yourself into. What's a specific example of something you learned the hard way after you were in the business, after you had scaled up? You said, "Crap, I really didn't sign up for this part of the business."
0: Yeah, I mean, there's two. The first one is probably um, the the bigger problem that i hadn't anticipated which is the logistics uh behind it all which is moving things around the country uh either to our distributors or getting juice we uh you know we buy the majority of our fruit from the northwest and you know ship down uh um, a, a juice product that we then bring in for fermentation. And, and honestly, just the, the trucking industry in, in itself has been a real challenge, as I'm sure many of the listeners know. Um, the way we decided to handle that is we vertically integrated and actually opened a logistics company, so we run our own trucks now. Wow. Uh, which never in a million years did I think would be something <laughs> that we'd be doing. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly it's, it's worked out fantastic for us, but it's yeah, a, it's yeah. a whole nother line of business that we needed to understand.
1: Yeah. But you know, if, if you, if she hadn't done that, you might not have raw material to make cider
0: yeah I mean that was the uh, genesis of it was we, we just couldn't get um, wet loads to come down from uh, from Washington because they were they were hauling back empty. There's no liquid yeah, yeah. coming out of Colorado really yeah. except oil um, but uh, you know so we just weren't able to get loads and it turns out not only were we able to you know control um, the
1: availability and when we were able to receive product but we actually saved money doing it. But what do you do with those trucks, the empty trucks, when you're going back? Do they run back empty? They sure do. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. All right. And that still saves you money.
0: It does. Now, that being said, if anybody knows any liquid heading to the Northwest out of Colorado, let me know. Yeah.
1: All right. (laughs) Um, Now, your title is... The CEO and lifter of heavy things. So, how has your role changed? Right from obviously, when you're the CEO of a startup, you are doing everything. But has that role changed? Are you still a lifter of heavy things? Absolutely. You know, it has changed. I think that
0: the meaning has changed behind lifter of heavy things. Uh, For for the listeners out there, I'm a I'm fairly large guy, and early on, it was it was literal. And uh, there was you know (laughs) we were building out the cidery. We did a lot of the work ourselves, and you know, there's always something heavy to lift in the cellar, and. So that's kind of where that came from, CEO and lifting heavy things. I think um you know, now my role has changed completely. I mean, I don't make cider anymore i'm I'm generally behind a, a computer screen or in a conference room. Mm. Um, but aside from that, there's still a lot of heavy lifting that needs to be done. and you know, most of that is supporting our team yeah. uh, who who truly do the heavy lifting at stem these days, and my job is to just provide them with the uh, resources and support that they need.
1: yeah, so now, as you as your job has changed and you're not lifting heavy things, do you still like go down to the cellar and lift heavy things to be part of the team.
0: <laughs> Only when no one's there, because they yell at me if I do. When really? Why yeah. is that? Like, <laughs> don't hurt yourself, boss. No, you know <laughs>
1: it's, it's like, don't mess it up. Don't mess oh, it yeah. up. <laughs> um, so you uh, and Phil uh, started Stem Ciders from a passion for the product. We mentioned that eight years ago. The cider business uh, was a really small niche. And Eric, when you you even launched the company at Denver Beer Co., and now Denver Beer Co. and larger beer brewers are getting in the cider business. You know, perhaps some of them share the same passion for cider products, but still it seems like some of the most like recent competitors, they're just motivated by like, chasing the next new thing, chasing more revenue. You know, do you ever like... What the hell, man? We were here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as much as I'd like to think that, I, I that was that is not even a part of my thinking. You know, that's looking back and we have to look forward and try to figure out how we stay relevant in this ever changing environment. And yeah. yes, there's a lot of people coming into the business. Now, are all of them doing it with the same level of quality and tenacity that we and some of the other cideries are? Absolutely not. But the same can be said for beer, the same can be said for wine, yeah. and spirits.
1: So how do you differentiate for like do customers care, you know, how once there's a cool brand and it tastes good, do they really care whether it comes from a passion project or whether it comes from some big company that is hidden behind the name? Yeah, I think
0: um, that's an interesting question, and it's one that the industry is really working to figure out right now. I, I say yes. Some people absolutely care. Some people care about the ingredients. Some people care about the company. Some people care about the people behind the company, and others don't. You know, I think you know one of the biggest differences in the industry from when we started this company eight years ago to today is the fact that, that brand loyalty and just the, the consumer awareness of what they're drinking and where it comes from has been diminished a little bit. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's good or bad. Uh, personally for STEM, it's, it's not the best thing in the world. But, you know, we're seeing um, a shift in, you know, some of the younger people out there drinking uh, brands from really, really large companies, like you said, that are just kind of behind the brand. And it's not that they're trying to hide it. And I just think yeah. that the consumer is more concerned right now with uh, things that are good for you, things that are easily accessible, and mm-hmm. things that taste good, yeah. and less so concerned
1: about uh, supporting the brand itself and the people behind it. So what what do you do? I mean, because really, I mean, the big brands create these little brands that seem craft, you know, and maybe to some extent they are, but they, they don't use their big corporate name. They use cute names for, so really how does STEM differentiate from, you know, which is a genuine dedicated cidery from these big guys that you're like, you want customers and know, like, those are the big guys buy from us absolutely you know
0: and you know what is craft right craft to me um, it can mean small um, it can mean good it can mean not good too depending on you know who the producer is so defining what craft is and what's important to people I think is really the key um, and and how do we do it you know we scream from the mountaintops about what our product is how we make our product and who we are yeah. we do that through experiential marketing we do that through our tap rooms inviting people in and pairing them with the food and understanding what cider is and what cider can be because you know even and just the definition of cider
1: yeah. varies across our industry and that yeah well i mean that it seems i could see where you would leverage taproom experiences to to uh long-term sales that makes perfect sense you got two taprooms and now you're in 28 states so what do you do outside of colorado where your customers cannot experience you know this this sense of connection with you
0: yeah we do you know that's a good question what we do is um a number of things. Well, you know, prior to COVID, it was a whole different environment. Yeah. But there was a lot of on-premise activations that we could do, uh, which we are starting to come back. And Meaning
1: that you'll go and sample at a liquor store or something like that,
0: or a bar or, or a bar. Mm-hmm. restaurant, mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. Absolutely, and get you know get that in front of people. Um, literally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now a lot of it has gone to a digital presence, and you know, fun short stories. And mm-hmm. we just launched STEM TV as a YouTube channel, trying to engage you know uh, our followers out there. And bring in new people that just haven't had a chance to experience the brand, yeah. and let them come and see, you know, what we, who we are, and what we do. You know, one of our flagship locations, Acreage, which is where we actually produce up in Lafayette. Um, you know, it's a really a magical place. It's awesome. It's there's it a great view, and it's just this huge, um, sprawling, uh, fun place to hang out. And so we try to we try to bring people into that through the the digital space.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So they can feel as though they're there. Via your YouTube channel or other social media, that makes sense. Um, The the, you also and everybody's doing this, so this got to be hard too. But creatively, uh, creatively creating, Uh, producing interesting new flavors i mean your product lines continue to expand flavors like crabby neighbor with hatch chili i've got some of that Uh, tart cherry agent whiskey barrels and al laws hosted a podcast with me and i know you guys partner with him you know a lot of parallels to the craft industry right so craft beer industry so but is this a chasing forever of new flavors new styles yes it is <laughs>
0: uh, unequivocally, uh, yeah, it is. And, you know, and it's a lot of fun to be honest with you. And you know, when we first started, it was it was how do you do things with apples, and you know, is this apple more uh, more tart or more tannic? Is this one sweeter? And how do you you know put that in the juice? We you mentioned our partnership with Oz and you know, that's aging apple you know cider into their whiskey barrels, which you know changes things a little bit. You know, where we are looking now is you know how do we really push the limits of what cider is and what cider can be while still mm-hmm. holding true to those core values that we have. And, you know, it's interesting. We just invested heavily um, in this innovation. We just hired a director of innovation and quality, which is new, new position for us. And we're really excited. Um, and uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna see some really fun
1: stuff coming out of STEM in, in the next 12 to 18 months. I thought what you have in the table in front of me was that fun stuff. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of think I understand what's similar between the site, the, the, cidery business and and craft beer what what's different between you know sort of the approach that you're taking with with craft cider versus you know in beer
0: you know i think um the biggest difference between craft beer and cider is the demographic. So we have a lot more women involved in the cider space than beer does. So if you look at the national statistics for demographics, it's split 50 50 right down the middle, male to female, which is amazing to us, right? I mean that's like the perfect demographic that we're ha- we can have. So we're we're able to pull in um a lot more drinkers that beer isn't uh, just because we skew um well not we don't skew heavily towards women, but we have have a lot more women that are drinking cider that's, than are drinking beer
1: that's interesting so that must come into play as you're creating flavor profiles and packaging or is that or am i being inappropriate with no that i assumption mean it, it absolutely is. comes
0: into play it comes into play in every aspect of our business and you know our, i mean stem is is largely women-led anyway so if you don't know that about us um we have a lot of uh, uh key Uh, senior leaders in our company are women and so they have a really good handle on what women consumers are looking for and um, so it absolutely it plays into the liquid it plays into the design um, but at the same time you know we're still trying to pull men in as well so it's interesting we're not just marketing to one segment which to a certain extent I think might be easier
1: yeah but I think your point is that while craft beer skews towards men craft cider is more of a balanced market Yes. That's pretty interesting. Uh, you're listening to ProCo 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Eric Foster of STEM Ciders. Go to ProCo360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. By the way, I've been listening to 12 Months to 1 Million How to Pick a Winning Product, Build a Real Business, and Become a Seven Figure Entrepreneur. Maybe Eric read that. I don't know. But it's, it's, been actually really entertaining, despite I think it's a very sensationalized title. Um, but it's been a really uh, substantial content. And I've been considering what I've been hearing uh, when I think about Colorado businesses that I want to interview. And also, uh, I know I'm going to use this content to help me prepare for future interviews on Proco 360. So you can find this book and all my audible selections at Proco360.com. Eric, we talked about a bunch of your flavors. You've got core products. You got to talk a bit about your special releases. I think that's kind of interesting too.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of different levels of special releases. We have kind of seasonals that come out every year. Paloma is one of those, it, and you know, it was well received. Salted cucumber, which, which we have on the table as well, uh, was a, was another one of those. And then we've got some special releases that are, you know, really designed for taproom releases and some of our you know really um, committed on premise accounts as well. Uh, and that's that's really limited mm-hmm. supply. And those are things that we're just churning and burning, trying to see what customers think about that and you know how are they how are they um receiving some of the new stuff and that's really where innovation just flourishes
1: that's interesting years ago i spoke with the the founder of breckner's breweries and he was saying that they when they made their vanilla their vanilla porter it was designed just as a quick little teaser in a tap room and it became like one of their top selling beers are you finding that that happens for you you know, um, we have I mean, all of these um I think,
0: well, aside from hibiscus, maybe, but the rest of these were all just basically you know throw them up in the tap room, see what happens, ha. and you know they're well received. We tweak them a little bit,
1: get them ready for mm-hmm. scaling and and then get them out to the the broader market well, and your website says only a fraction makes it to the public, so. You True. know what is that fraction?
0: You know, I, I don't even know off the top <laughs> of my head. But you know, there's a lot of things that happen. Um, you know, you know, in our uh, product development meetings, that is really fun stuff. Um, and you know, I would say uh, most of it, uh, we just it's just not. You know, it would be really tough to scale it, yeah. even to bring it up into the tap room space. So some of that stuff never even leaves the product development meetings. But
1: are, are there some that you? That you've tasted and you've said, yeah, I really like this, but it won't sell. We cannot, we have to have discipline and not make this. You know, I think
0: um, the harder thing for me is when I taste something that I am uh, not as fond of, Mm. but I know it will sell. Ha. So that's a whole different. What do you do? It's tough. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think that uh, I'm going to sit here and say that I'm, I have to love every one of our ciders that comes out. You know, I mean, I want to like them all. I want to be proud of the process that yeah. comes into it. But, you know, have we released a couple of ciders over the last eight years that weren't my favorite? Absolutely. And that's did the, they sell? They did. And one of them in particular, which <laughs> I'm not going to mention, uh, sells really well and is, is uh, asked about all the time and it just kills me inside.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's super funny. Uh, so now, You have had tremendous growth. I mentioned earlier in 22 states. What are your goals?
0: You know, uh, our goals from the beginning, which haven't changed at all, it's just to, to find good partners, to to uh, surround ourselves with great people, have a lot of fun and make smart business decisions that lead towards, you know, reasonable growth. And, you know, that was it. And yeah, I mean, you know, we're sitting here with Chandra right now, talking about a great partner. I mean, First Bank has helped us uh, numerous times, uh, especially over the last, you know, 18, 24 months. Boy, um, you know, a lesser banking relationship mm-hmm. would have been a lot more challenging and a lot more stressful for me what personally. Do you need my- money for? Nothing. No, we're no, good. Yeah. But I mean,
1: I mean, seriously, I mean, are you, what do you use money for?
0: No, I mean, you know, we if oh, you're
1: borrowing money, what's it, what's it for really?
0: Yeah. I mean, in typical times when we're borrowing money, what we're looking for is, you know, expansion, uh, you know, either to invest in new people, to invest in new equipment, to, you know, uh, first bank because we funded the building that we Oh, produce sure. Out of. The
1: acreage now Correct. You, that big expansion. Got it. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: 30,000 square foot building up in Lafayette. It's beautiful. And um, so yeah, great partner for that. And
1: do you, do you have to grow fast to keep up with the market expansion itself? Growing
0: fast? No, I mean, if you, there's a, there's a number of cideries that have opened, uh, after we did that are much larger than we are really? today. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, so growing fast, no, do you have to be nimble and, uh, you know, on top of your toes to make sure that you're staying relevant? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So talk about, I mean, you mentioned you're from Michigan. Yep. And. And that's where you experienced cider to begin with. Here we are in Colorado. You know, you got a cidery here. Why Colorado?
0: Well, you know, I, I, I didn't move here to open stem. I came here <laughs> uh, before that. I uh, I was a skier growing up. I, I loved the snow. And, you know, coming out to Colorado just seemed like the thing to do. And, and it was. I mean, I loved it. It's been a great place to live. It's now a great place to raise my family. And um, it's been an awesome spot to, to, to own a business as well. So.
1: Yeah, you said... Um, I, you said that your dream is to own an orchard and a bison ranch, right? So what's that about?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I'm kind of a strange guy, but you know, I, I, I live on a, on a small farm slash ranch right now and I love it. We raise sheep and chickens and turkeys and um, you know, it is, I, I, that is still the dream. I I love agriculture. I mean, we're in a business that is truly an ag business um, and user of ag products and, and uh, it's it's near and dear uh, to my heart, you know, and it's visible in our restaurants and how we source our food and what we source. And
1: Yeah, would owning an orchard, aside from being a big pain in the ass, because oh, now yeah. you buy the apples and you're done, kind of, well, you, you don't have to worry about sourcing in that way. Um, would, buy, would owning an orchard actually be fun for you?
0: It would be fun for me. That's probably the end of it. It would not be a financially viable business uh, <laughs> yeah, endeavor. Yeah.
1: And what's with the bison ranch?
0: Oh, man, I just, I love livestock. I think it's great. I, and the I, bigger, the better? The bigger, the better, right? I mean, I just, I literally just last night got back. I was up in South Dakota in uh, Custer State Park and tuning around Mount Rushmore and there's just bison everywhere. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Well,
1: there is some sort of like old Westy romantic notion of bison and, you know. There yeah. is.
0: And, you know, you got to have dreams. It's it's good to put them on paper. Is it ever going to happen? Who knows? But it'll uh, well, be a fun one.
1: But you do talk about this. You, you with, You've mentioned on your website, you know, you have a wife two sons that are young you told me four and six correct yeah and you know you said that it's a collective dream speaking about owning an orchard and a bison ranch so do you talk I mean your your boys are young but do you talk about these dreams we do and you know I think um
0: raising you know, raising a family on a farm is something that's really important to me. And I think it teaches a lot of lessons that you otherwise would not be able to impart um, on your children. So we do. And, you know, I'm not sure that these dreams are their dreams by any means. And they're four and six. So what are their dreams? Well, but they'll
1: but, be, they'll share, you know, there's some little kids. And I've had little kids. They share your dreams at least for a while. Sure. Right. So yeah. do you talk about this? We do. Yeah. And
0: I mean, we talk about it every time we go on vacation because we typically vacation to, to places like I just mentioned where, you know, there's, the sprawling ranches and, uh, and it, you know, there's livestock out there. And so, yeah, we do talk about these things as a family and, you know, what's beyond stem ciders and what's beyond, you know, work in general when we yeah. retire someday. And, um, you know, I don't think I'll ever retire. I think it'll just be, you know, doing things that I really, really enjoy. Not that I don't enjoy cider. It's, yeah. there is a lot of passion there, but there are,
1: there are other things. Yeah. Do you think, you know, and I'm conjecture a little bit, but I mean, how do you envision... Your boy helping your boys understand sort of what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to be passionate about building something. What do you what's your take?
0: Yeah, I mean, we talk about that a lot already. I mm-hmm. think it's really important to me. I, I you know, I have both worked for other people and and I have owned um, a couple of businesses, and uh, by far I prefer uh, working for myself. In fact, I'd, I'd wonder if I'm even employable at this point. Huh. Um, you know, and I, I think it's important for them to realize that yes, you can go out and get a job and be very successful and do great things, um, but I think that um, if you can figure out how to open that door uh, of entrepreneurial spirit and find people that support you and that you can support you'll go
1: far further yeah and so you i I guess you're kind of hoping your boys will have that choice in their mind
0: i'm hoping that they will at least understand that there is a choice yeah and then if they want to make the choice to do whatever they want to do then i'll support them through that but i want them to know that there are there are other things you can do than just you know finish high school go to college get a a job do the thing yeah Yeah, yeah. next thing you know it's 20 30 years down the road you look back and you're like
1: i wish i'd have done that thing that
0: i really wanted
1: to. Well, and, and at the same time, you've got employees who, who are part of your team, mm-hmm. right? How do you impart like entrepreneurial spirit in them?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, that's pretty easy because I'm a pretty hands-off manager. Um, my theory has, has been, and I'm sure many, many share this is just find the best people that we can, um, hire them and then let them do their jobs and support them as best as you can. So very, very few course corrections have to occur for me. It's just more, what is the vision? How do we communicate that to everybody? How do we get on the same page so that we're all working and kind of
1: swimming in the same direction? Um, so you think that spirit guides the, the actions of the company? I do. Yeah. I sure hope it does. Yeah.
0: And yeah. yeah. we can always work on culture and we
1: strive to. Uh,
0: it's a big part of what I focus
1: on. And, yeah. Um, so last question. So what is, if you could define the spirit of STEM cider, what is it?
0: Um, that is a great question. Um, you know, I, I I would have said that we have a strong entrepreneurial spirit, but we just talked about that, so that doesn't seem um, really great. But it is. I mean, it's we we I want each one of our our managers to feel like it's their business, and they have the power to go out and do um, you know great things. And uh, and I, I think we I think we foster that environment.
1: That's cool. I think that's a good note to uh, to end on. I'm your host Dave Tabor today on ProCo three hundred and sixty. You've been listening to my conversation with Eric Foster of Stem Cider. Thanks, Eric. Love. The conversation. Love the samples you brought. Thank you. Yeah, it was a true pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thanks for joining me on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors. Today, First Bank joined me in the studio. Also, thanks to Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, Digital Frontier Printing, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love, Colorado.